The Spin-Off Podcast Network. You're listening to Business is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business is Boring is brought to you by SparkLab, offering inspiration and practical advice to help businesses find their edge. To hear more about SparkLab, including details about the latest events, workshops, and business tools, visit sparklab.co.nz. And now, here's your host, Simon Pound. You're listening to Business Is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business Is Boring is made by The Spin-Off with help from Callaghan Innovation, New Zealand's innovation agency. Here's your host, Simon Pound. In 2003, a group of mates threw a party for 400 people in a vineyard in Gisborne. 2,000 people came, and it began what has become a festival that's famous on the world stage and a rite of passage for the Kiwi youth. Rhythm and Vines grew and grew. From that first event, they added days, internationals, camp, and a whole roster of other events they promoted. But they grew a bit too far, too fast, and some of the things that made the festival feel special were lost. After what was called a riot in their secondary campground, they went back to basics and have rebuilt the festival into a safer, friendlier, smaller and more curated affair. There have been highs and lows, big wins and financial losses, and last year news came that our guest today, Hamish Pinkham, founder and creative director of the festival, had sold half the business to one of the largest entertainment companies in the world, Live Nation. He's still guiding the ship, but has the help of a much bigger network to book, run and fund the event. He's still booking the acts and curating the festival, but now also able to step into some new ventures like the Phoenix Summit, an entertainment industry event coming in September. To talk the journey to here and what's next, Hamish Pinkham joins us now. G'day, kia ora. Good morning, Simon. Hey, thanks for being here. Tell us this origin story, which you must have told so many times over the years, but how was it that you and a bunch of mates... Uh, started this thing that's now like a cultural phenomenon. <laughs> yeah, well, it was a wild idea. A um, bunch of naive students with a big vision. Um, but I guess the recipe still remains the same, really. It's a group of mates wanting to get together to celebrate the New Year's in a unique Kiwi setting near the beach with some sunshine and a road trip and be entertained by some leading artists. And as we finished our time in Otago University and we had networks from all over New Zealand, it was only fitting that we'd... Um, organize an end of year party somewhere before people headed off to the real world and uh, Andrew my flatmate at the time had the vineyard in Gisborne which seemed like a perfect um, location to gather the groups of mates and we you know handed out flyers around university and um, it was the days before social media so there were some pretty crude kind of emails being forwarded around New Zealand saying join us at Rhythm and Vines Um, we secured the black seeds as our headliner and and it was a baptism by fire, really, learning about uh, how to put on a, a party and uh, one night wonder. And um, yeah, as you said, a couple of thousand people, you know, drove over the hills into Gisborne and and kicked off what's been a pretty memorable journey um, with Rhythm and Vines. What was it about that vineyard that attracted to you to it and knew that it would work? Because it's got such an amazing kind of 
natural amphitheatre going on there. Yeah, it's a stunning location. And initially we thought, you know, places like Wanaka and Nelson, and I'm from Hawke's Bay originally, and we had a, a site in in Waimarama Beach. But, uh, yeah, something led us to Gisborne. I mean, we had some great mentorship by Andrew's father and, and, and the property owners. Um, the Rolling Hills just suited a, a you know, a concert. Uh, they'd, they'd sculpted out the, the valley to, to host... Uh, these kind of events and it was landscaped and um, and certainly not to this extent with numbers but um, you know it's a great space to, to host and we've since found out the history of the area it's called uh, Waiahika which means water chief and apparently um, over generations the, the local iwi used to gather in that valley to uh, receive the water for the region. There's a, a natural spring tucked up in the hills, so people have been going there for uh, for centuries to um, to gather, and you know it's only fitting now that thousands um, nestle into the amphitheatre to um, to bring in the new year. And um, yeah, what a, what a spot! I mean, it's it's what has kept us passionate about the event. It's first place in the world. Um, all the attributes of Gisborne and a world class setting just make it what it is. And that Gisborne kind of um, factor. You don't just drop into Gisborne, do you? It's like a real place that you you, you kind of step into a different pace of life and <laughs> crossing through the gorge or coming around either of the pretty tough roads to come in from either other side. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a real kind of like place out of, out of the mainstream, isn't it? Yeah, I think that's been part of the success as well. It's a real journey to get there. Um, you can't just stumble into Gisborne, you're right. Uh, you've got to earn it. You got to come through those gorges and over those mountains and um, and roll into town. Um, there's an element of escapism um, at that time of year as people leave their you know their jobs and their lives at university and and jump in a car and head to paradise. Um, but you know Gisborne's been huge, um, you know huge host. Um, you know welcoming the thousands. We've got the beaches in the city. You got the great sunshine, the vineyard setting. It's just a, a perfect festival town over that time of year. Tell me about the kind of way you grew it from the beginning. So you had you had that first one that was oversubscribed, and then what did you kind of all go? Oh shit, we're onto something here. How how did you go from um yeah from from throwing it for a lark to it being your gig? Yeah, I think we were lucky with that first year, having bright blue skies, everyone having a ball at uh, the first rhythm and vines. The Black Seeds performed DJ Sawani, um, and it was a really memorable event. And people left Gisborne that summer saying, shit, let's do that again. And it felt like the next year everyone came back with a couple of mates in tow. Um, word had spread about this, you know, burgeoning party. And we had 5,000 at the at the second event and we were lucky we had some success with the likes of Shapeshifter and Cora and Salmonella Dub, um, all household names now. But that whole scene helped drive the demand as well. And again, another bright blue sky on the second year. And, you know, everyone just... You know, stood on that hill overlooking the region, um, celebrating the new year with their mates. There was you know, nothing better, and it was um, something we were able to build on. And how did you go out and build that? Because I imagine as young guys, you'd be, what, early 20s, and then um, you're starting to talk to some of the bigger acts in the world to try and get internationals along and the bigger acts in New Zealand. Like, how do you go around building that trust? Yeah, certainly a lot of blind optimism and uh, passion and. Um, you know, we just had a vision for what we were trying to achieve, and I think that shone through in our dealings. Um, and you know, we I guess we had the success of the, the the two years. We had the ticket sales to show that people wanted to attend this event. 
Um, but yeah, it was it was certainly difficult breaking into that top tier of the industry. And you know, there were established touring networks around the time, and the Coromandel and Taupo, and and trying to attract the you know leading artists to Gisborne was um, something we had to work on. But um, we perhaps paid over and above for some artists in the early years. You know, almost buying our way into the into the game, which you tend to do. But you know, we always delivered a great experience for the artists. The crowds were great. You know, the hospitality was fantastic, and we learnt as we go, as we went. Um, we surrounded ourselves by some great mentors, um, both you know on the business front, but also on the event management and operations. And we were able to learn off some industry experts to you know to strive best practices for our event. And um, as a result, we were able to you know grow quite qu- quickly and and um, and you know and get to a level that you know we started to get respected. Tell me about the move to being multi-day and what what drove that yeah that was uh five years into our journey and we were essentially running a huge one night party um around fifteen thousand people would come to gisborne for the week and they'd almost wait around for the 31st to have this big wild night um and we thought why not open the gates a couple of days earlier and invite people out to the venue and entertain them um we were, I guess, mimicking some of the leading three-day festivals, the likes of Glastonbury and Coachella around the world. Um, and it was, yeah, it was slightly confusing for the market at first. I remember people saying, how are we going to do three days of Rhythm and Vines? We can't even really survive one currently. <laughs> but um, it was the trend, you know, internationally for festivals. Um, having a, a 29th kickoff meant we could access some of the touring talent in Australia and bring them over the ditch and you know those initial years we had the likes of Franz Ferdinand and the Kooks and Public Enemy and Moby and um, some world leading acts could come to our event and then head on to Australia so strategically from the program front it was a a big part of the decision Um, but really just trying to maximize the opportunity of everyone in town and and get the party started a few days earlier and and it's since become the norm. How did that feel in that first kind of five years when you go from probably you know through a couple of mates finding the manager for a band and then they come and play you know all local in New Zealand to then having kind of public enemy who you know like they, they changed the world's culture you know and they're, they're playing at your festival how, how does that feel for a bunch of young fellas yeah it was it was pretty exciting and we were almost flying by the seat of our pants um, you know we were taking all necessary precautions and we you know worked with authorities and we you know had some trusted advisors but you know it was certainly feeling in the dark and some pretty lofty ambitions to have the kind of talent um, arriving on our shores but we had a vision and we took bold steps and um, I think that's what you need to do to achieve your goals. Uh, It was certainly terrifying you know from the risk portfolio that we had um, the amount of deposits going out and and some of the staff we were engaging and you know all resting on selling you know x amount of tickets and to be fair, those early years of the three-day model were were crippling the business. Um, there were huge expenses going out on security bills, you know, tripling over the, the three days. We were paying international visas and, and jets coming in with international talent and program budgets blowing out. Um, and, you know, we had to learn over those first few years of the three-day model how to get the numbers right, how to make it work. Um, we probably overstretched um, with the kind of numbers we thought we would get. I think the budgets were based on 25,000 attending and that took three years to achieve. So, you know, you've got to, you've got to work towards these goals. Um, as we've learned, things take half the time. <laughs> but, you know, I think we've proved, 
prove to everyone and ourselves that the, the model was there. It just needed um, a little bit of massaging over the years. Yeah, the fundamentals of running a business like that. You know, like I, I wonder if every if you know people who attend, how many of them would have put much thought into just how much earlier you were booking the acts and just how much earlier you were paying the deposits and just how much kind of cash flows on the line. It must be terrifying to spend eight months going, shit, I hope this all comes through. It must be must be really hard. <laughs> yeah, well, I compare it to farming and not that I have a horticultural background, but um, you're almost sowing the seeds earlier in the year and you're investing in, in your crops and, you know, you spend six months tending to those um, and you you know you're hoping that you're not going to get a hailstorm or a you know some sort of rot coming in. Um, you're managing those crops for the for the season, and you come to harvest time, and that's where you you know that's where you bring home the bacon. And events are like that as well. There's certain building blocks that need to be done. Um, our team start in the first quarter of the year, booking acts, um, debriefing, and 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 securing you know our vision for later in the year. Um, go to market six months out and you're selling a dream that's um, not quite realised um, and then it comes to the end of the year and, and you bring the team in to, to kind of harvest the crops and, and deliver the event and um, yeah it's quite a seasonal business but if you get the recipe right um, it can be quite rewarding. And you were alluding there just before to how uh, you, you got a bit ahead of your forecasts and and had some hard times there both financially hey like a couple of years where you had a loss that most people would find pretty pretty hard to fit in their heads but also in terms of like the culture got out of hand T- tell me about how things um got out of hand yeah so initially as i said the model was based on you know twenty five thousand people attending and i think we had eighteen thousand twenty thousand for a couple of years and you know they that's some pretty big um, lessons to learn when you you don't quite get your numbers um even so, if those numbers are massive yeah <laughs> so we found ourselves on the back foot um financially we were lucky enough to get some funding support but they were big risks um securing those loans you know again on on a vision and on a dream um but we were able to claw back um some of the debt with achieving that three-day model and then as soon as you get it right um things just ran away from us and it was fantastic Fantastic for a few years there. Um, leading into our ten-year anniversary, we had you know twenty-five, thirty thousand people on site, um, which was fantastic. You know for the for the coffers, but with that came its challenges. You know almost um, the culture started to develop around the event and in Gisborne and um, became unsustainable. Um, the drinking culture was um, you know it was a big part of our success. People coming to Gisborne and letting their hair down, but um, with that came the the man management and you know managing a BYO culture that was, you know, probably a little bit outdated in this day and age. But um, and, and that that BYO culture, that was never Rhythm and Vines, the actual festival, was it so much as the campgrounds that you had for people who came to town? Exactly, yeah. So it was a separate business um, on site at Rhythm and Vines. We took all necessary steps. But I guess people were coming to Gisborne for our event. So it was, the onus was on us um, to help the authorities to, to manage the behaviour throughout the region. Um, and kids are coming into town and letting their hair down. And um, and as a result, yeah, we had some issues down at the beach, which um, I guess drove the change um, throughout the industry as a whole. Um, Gisborne was perhaps um, one of the last bastions of the BYO culture after, you know, um, 
the the mission concerts and and the Wellington Sevens and a lot of these events which had morphed into you know more controlled environments and um, it was only a matter of time before Gisborne stood up and and um, took those steps as well. So yeah, as a result of some of the the behavioural issues in Gisborne, we were forced to make some changes and and bring everything out to one site um, to get rid of the BYO culture, bring in a more of a European style of event where punters can. Um, happily enough drink during the day but they drink from licensed premises um, that we control and run and authorities can oversee and yeah it was initially a, a big step for the for the culture in New Zealand to to think about you know not reaching into your chili bin and buying a, and grabbing a beer but having to you know head to a licensed premises but it's been you know big success and we've been able to control the intake and and promote um, you know safe and secure drinking environment. Because it's a big effect on a small place like Gisborne, isn't it? If you have 25,000, 30,000 people hitting town, plus all of the hospitality around the artists and uh, all of the um, stretches on local business in terms of being suppliers and stuff. And I imagine that's been a real journey for you as well, of being able to be a real contributor to the Gisborne economy. And then also at times... Gisborne's kind of helped out, uh, you, you, you helped carry the, the festival and then, yeah, like going through that kind of journey together. Yeah, no, it's been, um, you know, it's a huge boom for the region. And initially, yeah, I guess some of the local suppliers, the pack and saves and the liquor lands were not seeing the kind of business they used to do when um, little Johnny would roll in and buy, you know, five dozen double browns for the week. Uh, but, you know, they're still seeing kids get off site during the week, grab brunch in town. Um, you know, have a beer at the local pub, um, refresh, and then come out to site. We really promote getting people off site and into town and enjoying the beaches and, and what Gisborne's got to offer. And I think the the, the, the city's still seen a huge um, uptake from, you know, all the punters we bring to town. Tell me about the decision to bring in Live Nation, who, you know, like people might have seen their name as the promoters on some pretty big gigs and the like, but they're... they're an enormous entertainment company, aren't they, around the world? Yeah, it was a fantastic opportunity for us. Um, and we were looking for some strategic partners to prop the business up. And, you know, we'd, we'd toiled away for 15 years and and, um, and managed to, you know, establish good governance within our business and, and some good cash flow and some really good systems and structures. But um, it was inevitable to be working with a, a world-leading player at some point and, we had the opportunity to partner up with Live Nation and we grabbed it. Um, they're a you know, huge force in the industry. Um, they're growing in our region. They've got a portfolio of 100 festivals and, and Rhythm and Vines is now one of those and we can tap into that wealth of knowledge and access to talent. And um, It's an exciting new chapter for the festival, I think, to be in good hands. Um, we've got you know, some great minds working on the festival in all aspects from the booking to the production to the ticketing and event management and you know, as, as long as the event can continue and, and be sustainable, that's all the uh, all everyone involved um, really wants. So Live Nation provides that, and um, we're really excited about the future. What are the ingredients for making a great festival? Because it, from the outside, you know, if you're having to book acts pretty much a year ahead of when they're going to be playing, they might go up, they might go down the the. the fashion could move you know there's so many kind of variables there and also you've got a festival now that isn't so much about the headliners alone is it as you sell most of your tickets before you even let anyone know who's coming <laughs> yeah I think well that's taken 17 years to get to that point where we've got that trust and respect um, that we will deliver but 
you certainly can't get complacent in this game um, and it may look easy um, that we just turn the key each year and people roll in but um, our team work throughout the year and on all aspects you know whether it's the social media conversations we're having or the the branding and the um, and the look and feel of how we're presenting ourselves in the market um, yeah certainly the music trends and establishing new relationships with leading agents and 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 seeing where the music's going you know and we've seen a lot of trends over our years from you know the local kiwi reggae scene through to you know uk drum and bass we've had um a hip-hop era which we're still you know going through and and establishing that um that kind of you know grime through to mumble rap to whatever you may call it which is popular today um house music's making a huge comeback and making sure that we're you know, we're touching the right areas to to keep our event relevant, and that's the exciting part of the festival. It, it keeps us on our toes. The the creative elements that keep developing, um, and you know, technology changes as well. We've first to implement RFID at the event, um, making sure our ticketing systems are you know up to play, whether it's on the resale side of the business or you know, upgrades and, and um, the camping aspect of the festival as well. We've been expanding into areas. So, yeah, certainly never get complacent. There's always something to think about. And I know our team work, you know, throughout the year to, to keep maintaining the kind of success we've been having. And now that it's not all on your shoulders with uh, the Live Nation to help with that pretty big beast, is that meaning you're able to jump back out and start thinking about some other things to promote because I, I understand you were promoting some other factors and then pulled that all back in as well to focus on on the big beast yeah so over the years we've um you know we've contracted and expanded and um we set up the rhythm and alps festival which has been a great success down in wanaka and um and that's you know a, a partner of ours now uh we have been working hard over the years to get the rnv model right and it's worth focusing on to just you know make sure that things are in a good way and I think now the festival's um, you know in a place where we're selling two thirds of the tickets before the lineup comes out means we've got that respect and trust and um, as I said don't want to get complacent but it's a great time to be looking at other opportunities in the market um, how we can entertain our clients throughout the year um, how we can be doing more in the Auckland region um, how we can be working with the agents and their talent throughout the year in this market um, is something our team's been looking at and we've been. Uh, implementing some great initiatives the last few years, the Touch Base Festival here in Auckland. Um, we've been touring acts like Fatboy Slim, and but yeah, I'm really passionate about it. I think it's um, you know I'm at a stage in my career where it'd be great to give back. That's, that, that's a great kind of segue into a question we always ask everyone, which is what kind of advice do you give to people who are interested in getting started, creating kind of entertainment products or, or building a big brand and and and. I guess building credibility overseas and all of the different things that you've had to do in order to to make this a success. Sure. Well, I think of my journey and I think of uh, the first word comes to mind's passion. And uh, leaving university, I had a real passion to be part of the music industry, and I was an aspiring musician and a um, and you know had a couple of bands down in Dunedin and and some pretty early promotion around campus and. I really wanted to be working with um, some leading music brands, the likes of MTV and Universal Music and, and rubbing shoulders with some fantastic talent. And that passion drove me to, you know, establishing the Rhythm and Vines Festival and and being able to, to grow that over my career um, leads me back to just being passionate about 
what I want to achieve. And if you can find your niche, find something that you that gets you out of bed in the morning and that you can talk to people about, um, I think it can be in, infectious and it will get you places. So um, passion's one thing. Um, the next thing that springs to mind is um, surrounding yourself with um, with with good people and, and some like-minded people that understand and appreciate your vision and your talent. And I've been lucky enough in my career to have some fantastic mentors um, from the early days of the festival with um, my friend's father and my own father who were able to keep us in line and and give us confidence to, to pursue our dreams um, through to some of the governance we've had in our business and some leading um, advisors and directors um, through to today with the Live Nation team who are um, fantastic at supporting our dream. I think it's it's important to surround yourself with people that um, that are going to uh, help realize your vision and, and support it and be positive. So yeah, a couple of tidbits from me, um, doing something you love and surrounding yourself with um, people that want the best for you. Could you have you know believed and did people tell you you were bananas to be trying to do this, especially when things got hard? Because they got good and hard a couple of years, didn't they? And yeah, like, and now to kind of look back and and it's it's part of the it's part of the calendar. It's like part of like the rite of passage for young people, you know. Like no 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 exaggeration there. Part of the culture uh, is that. Uh, does that surprise you or catch you out or? Yeah, yeah I think um, I guess it's one thing that I'm proud of with the stickability um, and trusting the process. I think as well, and you've got a vision in your mind and you've kind of know the steps you need to take. And sometimes, you know people will try and sway you from your path and they might have good intentions be it you know family and friends that only want the best for you but um well they may be naysayers and you know and well poisoners who are out to see you you know fail but trusting the process and and believing in your vision and believing in yourself and your and your um commitment to what you're trying to achieve is um is a huge part of it and that's where the real tests are made and that's you know when you're down and out and no one else is believing in your vision and 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 just trusting yourself and and taking those steps and that tenacity um is what can be most rewarding when you do achieve what you set out to achieve and how do you define success at the moment what's what's success for you i guess on a personal level as well as a a professional uh success is yeah i mean i've been lucky enough to um to continue this journey you know the the business is sustainable we've got a future um that's success for me to to wake up each day and work on this on this event that you know that is a cultural icon it's uniquely kiwi it's um it's seeing twenty thousand happy faces at the end of the year it's working with some of my favorite artists it's allowing some travel and and um and to be surrounded by some industry experts um it's paying its way it's um you know paying paying my way in terms of a salary and and it's a you know in my eyes it's been a big successful project um it's not always easy and um i think you've got to enjoy the good times because um next thing you know you're rolling your sleeves up um and you know giving it another crack but um yeah i think it's a testament to to everyone involved in our smaller team that um that the festival can be successful and and um and yeah, just having that passion for what you you believe in and what you want to do um, will help. I hope hopefully lead the way to what you can perceive as success. 
Well, thank you, Hamish Pinkham, one of the founders uh, of the Rhythm and Vines Festival and lately of the Phoenix Summit, and looking forward to see what you make happen with that. Thank you very much. Great. Thank you for joining us. Thank you very much to Alice Webb Liddell for producing, and thank you very much for having us along in your ears and listening. Cheers. If you are a fan and follower of the spin-off, make sure you check out the spin-off members, uh, a program where you're able to get behind and support and choose and shape the investigative journalism that the spin-off provides. You've been listening to Business is Boring, presented by Simon Pound. And brought to you by the spin-off and Callahan Innovation. From the Spin-Off Podcast Network, that was Business is Boring, brought to you by SparkLab. Make sure you're following Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information on SparkLab, visit sparklab.co.nz. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tāmaki Makaurau, Jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.